In the following live session recording, Tony Branham, campus minister at Armstrong Campus of Georgia Southern University, and with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, leads a session entitled Adulting 101, What Do We Do Now? Your child is heading off to college and the two of you have no clue how to navigate what's coming. In the world of shifting roles and expectations, the listener will discover ways to maneuver the path of adulting with your child, including critical thinking, problem solving, life skills, and so on, while still loving and respecting one another. Let's join Tony now. The first time I heard the word adulting, used in the form of a verb, was about four years ago. And it came from a student who was a senior getting ready to graduate from college. And she basically said, I guess I'm going to have to go adult now. So based on that, what I just said, then what would the definition of adulting be? In the real world. What? Growing up. Growing up. (laughs) That's what we used to call it. I got to grow up. And that was a fancier word called adulting. So the reality is college students and your students, your daughters, is getting ready to go off. It's the same thing that's been going on forever. It's not new. They just have to grow up. Just like all of us have to grow up or had to grow up or hopefully are still, still growing up, right? Um, so adulting is not even really that big of a deal other than we just all need to do it. They need to grow up. The reality is most of them haven't grown up. So one of the biggest issues, critical thinking, we can talk about that as little or as much as y'all want to, because they don't know how to do it. Here's the problem. You know when most people learn critical thinking? Fourth grade? That's when you start taking problem solving, algebra, and things like that. The reason you take those things is so you can learn how to problem solve. So if they're supposed to learn in fourth grade, and they're now 18 and 20 and 21, and they don't know how to do it. What happened? So what what happened? What happened? Why are they not learning it in fourth grade? And now they're 18, 19, 20. You have to answer that question in order to know how to fix it. Right? What happened? Any ideas? What do you think happened? There's probably not a answer. There's probably a lot of answers. But why is it that people don't know how to do it? Well, there's. I think there's two answers I can think of right off. Um, that we did it for them a lot of times. Maybe it was us helicopter parents or whatever going, oh, we do this, no, 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 instead of letting them try to figure it out. And also, new math and everything else came along, so they didn't focus on the critical thinking anymore. They went to whatever the new way of doing it was. What else? Those are add to it smartphones and social media. Um, because those are the social media influencers are where they get their information. It's where they find out what they think is right or wrong or what should be or shouldn't be, um, rather than parents or grandparents or teachers. What else? Those are good. So if we identify the things that cause it to be where it is, then the, what do we have, the, the, we've got to deal with those things to fix where we are. So that means each of us, wherever we are with whatever our circumstances, have got to start at that beginning point and then figure out what we do to make it um, I only have a couple of philosophies in life. <clears throat> One is smarter, not harder. Like, I don't want to work harder than I have to. I already got plenty to do, so I, I want to do it smarter, not harder. And the other one is really quite simple. Treat everybody like they're stupid. <laughs> now, 
the reason is if I start with the fact that you're stupid, I can always build up. And I guess that's why I do okay with students, because I just assume they don't know anything. I, I wrote myself some notes up here on the board so I wouldn't forget. So I, I want to just give you some examples of this week. As a matter of fact, two of these come from last night. But I want to start with the airline. So back in the spring, we're sitting around the BCM, and this girl comes in, and she says, I'm going to have to go to the mechanic. My air light came on telling me my tire pressure's low. I'm going to have to go to the mechanic. And I was like, um, you know you don't have to go to the mechanic. That just means you need air in your tire. <laughs> She's like, really? I didn't know that. And so I said, well, you know what? I have an air pump at home. I'll bring it and help you, show you how to do it. Yeah. So then there's two other girls at the table, and they're like, can you show me? Can you show me? So the next day I bring the air pump in, and I'm out with these girls, showing them how to put air in their tires. And they said, well, can you show us how to check our, our oil? Because your, your mom's little thing on those things, you know, with that thing, those things. But, you know, dads are dads, so they don't have a clue. But my point is, they just didn't have a clue. And it's not their fault. They just don't have a clue. Now, me, on the other hand, when I grew up, I learned a lot of things because my parents took time to actually teach me things. Because right. back when I grew up, it was important for you to know how to do things. So the first thing I'm going to say is, parents are big things. Parents have to help their kids to learn whatever it is they need to learn. That's critical thinking, but that's also the Bible. That's everything. Parents have to take responsibility. If you want to turn out an adult, you first of all got to be an adult, and then you got to help them to be an adult. It doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just wake up the next morning, boom, I'm an adult. They're in college. Just because they're in college doesn't mean they're an adult. That's not what makes you an adult. You can go through college and still not be an adult. Trust me, I know people six years old that still are not adults because they still do stupid stuff. I'm sorry, I probably, stupid is a bad word, I know. But I'm just saying, if you just start there, you're going to get a long way. So I know that sounds silly, but the reality is if you just start with the fact that they don't know anything, don't tell them that. Obviously, don't tell them that. Just don't tell them that because then you, you got to be but anyway, so I, I start there. I just start with the fact that they don't know anything. Then you're going to go a whole lot further. So if they don't know anything, then what does that mean? Not they don't know anything. What? Somebody's got to teach them. All right, so at this point, here's what I think happens a lot of times. Who does the teaching? Now it's YouTube. If we don't know that it's YouTube. That's right. And even if it may not be right or wrong, or credible, it's still YouTube. Go on the internet. Go on the internet. So your other friends are hanging out with. So how did you guys learn things? This is what they learned. How did you learn? Because you most of you, well, some of you younger ones might actually learn some of the stuff from the internet. But hey, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't, I hate to be age graded, but for this, we're going to start with the more mature people first. So if you consider yourself a more mature person in the room, I want you to answer the question first, how'd you learn? I'm going to look at this side of the room. I can tell you how I learned to ride a bike. Okay. My dad, we have a hill on our property, and my dad walked with me around to the top of the hill. He, he got me up on the bike, he steadied it, 
and he pushed me and he said, ride. And I did. He didn't tell me how to stop, but I learned how to do that too. Right. That, that was my lesson in learning to ride by. What about you guys? What are some of, how, how did you learn? That? It was in the doing. Um, in the doing. Yeah, whether it was a chore list or an activity or uh, whatever. A chore list? Isn't that amazing? Yes, yes. Chore list. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a list of chores, by the way. Things <laughs> 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 to be done. Yeah, my kids have that. A yeah. chore is something that you're actually have to work and do around without pay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that. Yeah, you're not given a list. You just know what they're doing. You have to define what a chore is. Because I, I taught kindergarten for 30 years in the last like five or six years, I would say, okay, well, this is our chore chart. You know, mm -hmm. what we're going to, what's a chore? What's a job? What's that thing? Because mom and dad did everything for everything, for, for everything became a game instead of a chore. Yeah. Did you want anything to live? Well, I have to say, I'm not a helicopter parent, so it's turned out good for us, my wife and I. I can't say that we've pulvered so much. We've let them have to let the kids go out there and they have to do it for themselves at some point so they can actually internalize it and actually learn something. So you be able to do it on their own. opportunities to but be this able. is opening up a lot of things, a lot of ideas. Okay, I probably need to teach my girls a little bit more about the car and things, but they're not interested because they're girls. That's like that's the problem. You might be surprised. I wish they would be more interested. But it's not it's not always about the task. Yeah. It's also about the relationship. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you taking time to show my things together. Right. But I mean, but if you always do girly things with your daughter, I can only take so much. <laughs> and late at night, you can take the air out of the tire yeah. and let them figure out what to do the next morning while you're still there. It's a good trick. All kinds of things you can do. Yeah. Absolutely. We also had. Um, you know, if you want to do this, then you have to do this. So in that case, my dad did not let us get our driver's permit at 15 mm -hmm. until we could change a tire, mm -hmm. check the oil, you know, some things yeah. like that. Pump gas, because back then pumping gas, all stations wasn't weren't self-serve. But we had to do those before we could even go get our permit. And so it was teaching responsibility yeah. and safety, mm -hmm. you know, it is part of it too. And so, okay, if I've achieved these and I'm willing to do it, so what has to happen in order for that to happen is you have to think ahead that there actually are some things I need to help teach. And if you were guys were in the last session with Jesse, that's what he used some of the scripture. But uh, if you look in your, if you have your books or whatever, if you looked at the theme verse, anybody know what it says? It basically says that this generation should teach the next generation, so it'll be passed on. In a nutshell. Yeah. So if you don't teach them now. What's the next group going to be like? They just get stupider and stupider. I mean, and you can't fix that with duct tape. I'm just telling you. Uh, so really, and I'm not just trying to be funny. I'm, I'm really trying to help you guys to think about this. Okay? It's not a complicated problem. If you can think critically, you should be able to think, okay, here's the problem. We need to fix the problem. How do we figure out what the problem is in order to fix? See, I'm applying critical thinking processes to you guys while we're in here right now. I'm not trying to give you the answers. I'm trying to help you think critically so you can help your children or college or whoever think critically. Okay? So part of the problem is us. So how did you learn? Um, pretty much the same way my mom or my dad taught me. And then if it was something that either I did not bother to learn as they taught me, 
or whatever, I would look at the pieces of what was going on and just try to play with it, it until I figured out how to make it happen. I hope that would explode the process or whatever. <laughs> how about this corner and then we'll move over here? Um, I'm not trying to do guessing less age, so I'm not, you know, at some point, then I'm just not really guessing. I'm just sort of. <laughs> My parents played a lot in showing me how to, you know, what not to do, that type of thing. But I'm also more of a hands-on learner. You know, I want to get in there, and I'm not a book person. Don't give me a book and expect to read it. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do that. But I'm more of a hands-on. I'm going to get in there and figure it out. So. Yep. Well, mine's pretty much the same. Like you can show me one time how to do it, but until I get in there and right work with it. Stand there and guide me along, but let me... Actually, that was the second point that Jesse made in the last seminar. It was mm -hmm. your model. Mm -hmm. well, if you were in here, you heard that already. So right. We're just repeating what we've already heard. Okay. Now, my dad, my mom was, she had a history with drug abuse, but my dad was kind of a single parent. So I learned what not to do for my mom and what to do for my dad, because I they are hands-on getting the doors yourself, you know, but I'm sure I'm 25, I'm not sure how old they are. My daughter's five, but I'm kind of a, I guess, an old-fashioned type parent in the mentality way, because I, I mean, she's five, but she, she knows how to vacuum. She can wash dishes. She, she's going to, you know, swap clothes over. She can work. If you can work a phone, you can work everything in this house. That's the kind of parent I am, even at 25 years old and having a, you know, a younger child in my house. That's good. You know, you just, you work for, you earn your keep around our house. What about you guys? Pretty much the same. We're the same with our children. You know, we can make sure that they have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And you know, like you said, the chore list. We didn't get paid for it. My mom would say the water bill, the rent, that's your payment right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's just well, out. The thing that we do at the house is most of the time my kids are, I want to go, I want to do this, I want to get good. You know, most of the time we don't mind it, but you're going to do this before mm -hmm. you go. You know, there's stipulations before you get to have fun. There's things that you know you're gonna have to do before you get to do that. So and kind of like you, you was saying, like, uh, didn't even care to learn. Well, I could change a tire. I don't trust myself to change a tire. <laughs> or like, oh, I could not tell you how to change it. Could not. Well, the reality is, yeah. you were taught how to do it. Yes. You know, you could do it. Yes. And, if yeah. you, and if you don't want to do it, you know what to do to get it done. Exactly. And I was like, I don't think my dad would trust me to do it. <laughs> I really don't. And then I got married, and then I was like, I trust you. Know, that's why I think like, AAA and other places are around. Yeah, actually, there are people that can help with that. So that, but that's a part of the thinking is to actually know to call AAA. So we had we had students who went to uh, a thing in Atlanta. So we're in Savannah. They went to Atlanta, and they're on the way back. And and the guy, he's an Indian. He's from Indian descent. He's driving his car. He has a flat. It's like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. He's got a flat on Interstate 16. Okay, this is just not a good scenario. He's on the other side of Dublin, probably about 10 miles from Dublin. He has a flat. Now there's people in the car with him. So there's four college students in the car. He's Indian, I said this already. His dad is dead. His dad never taught him Jack. So he doesn't know anything. He's not from the United States. So. He's just barely got a car, and he has a flat. So this is what transpired. They ended up spending the night in Dublin because they didn't know what to do. So they got taken into Dublin and spent, like, spent money on a hotel because they didn't really know what to do. Not only him, but the other people in the car with him. 
that he actually had a spare that they could have put on, but he didn't even know he had a spare. And nobody in the car thought to even ask if there was a spare. So they stood on the side of the road, they called, so I was supposed to come, but they never came. The reality is one of our students, their friend, lived in that town. They could have easily called her parents. They would have taken care of them, but they didn't. Instead, I think they called a taxi, took a taxi to Dublin, stayed in a hotel, and the next day got it taken care of. That's just stupid. <laughs> it just is. But the reality is they didn't know what to do. There's no one had ever taken so it's not about the tire. Y'all hear me? It's not about the tire. It's just that they got in a situation where nobody had talked to them. And it was forum in the car. It was collective ignorance. It wasn't just one person. It was collective ignorance. And that's the problem. So they go off to college. They're dumb. And everybody else is dumb, too. So that's, but thankfully, if you're teaching your kids the way you are, they won't be dumb. There are actually some students who do know how to think critically. I just, I'm telling you bad stories, but there really are people who do know how to do this kind of stuff. Not as many as so, I, I want to talk about um, Kool-Aid, all right? Any of you ever made Kool-Aid? Anybody made Kool-Aid before? It's pretty simple, right? The packet says, one packet, one cup of sugar, add water. Right? Right. So I got this girl. I say to them, we're having an event last night, we need to have something to drink. What are we going to drink? Okay, we'll drink Kool-Aid. Okay. Go make some Kool-Aid. It's a packet of Kool-Aid. She comes back. How much Kool-Aid do we need to make? And I said, well, how many people are coming? Uh, 15. Well, probably maybe two gallons to make sure. Okay. How much is that? So literally, she couldn't take the packet. She couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure out that two quarts and two quarts, four quarts makes a gallon. She couldn't figure any of this out. She said, I gotta do math. <laughs> yeah. So the reality is she couldn't even make Kool-Aid. Now to me, that's like that's sad. That's pretty sad. But nobody's ever taught her. She didn't learn basic math that two quarts equal, you know, half a gallon four make four. They couldn't tell you how many ounces are in a in a quart or how many ounces end up being in a gallon. Can you guys do that? <laughs> I don't know. But she couldn't make Kool-Aid. So literally I had to walk her through the entire process. But here's the thing. Did y'all notice what I did? At every step of the point, I asked her a question. So now she knows how to make Kool-Aid. Now I joke with her and so hopefully but the reality is, so all I did was I helped her to learn. So, okay, we're starting with the premise that they don't know anything, and nobody's talking to them. So if they don't know, then we just got to teach them. So that would be the second thing I'd say to you. Teach where you can, whether they're yours or not. Whoever they are, start teaching them. Don't do it for them. I think that was mentioned earlier. I would say that's the biggest problem with most of the students coming down. They don't know how to do anything. Not because they haven't been taught, that's part of it, but because somebody's done it before. So let's let's talk about that from a spiritual standpoint. Okay? Let's apply these principles to spiritual stuff. Because I can tell you that the average student coming to me now is pretty ignorant when it comes to the scripture, to following God, and all that stuff. Because 
purpose, apply the same principles, why would they be stupid in spiritual things? Again, they've not been taught how they're supposed to do They've not been taught, they haven't shown them, they don't know how to do it. So then, if that's the problem, how do we teach them? Teach them. We teach them. But we don't tell them what to do. We don't. We can't do it for them. We have to walk them through that. Now, I'm, I'm trying to keep this in principles because every one of your situations is different. So you have to think critically for your situation to the plot and answer. Are you checking with me on this? All right. Google kind of brought that up. That you did. So the reality is with this generation of students, they are so into their phones and, and the screens. Y'all probably heard a bunch of stuff, but let me just read some stuff out to you. So some, some people call them screenagers. I think that's a perfect name because they're always on multiple screens at any given time. Like they multitask all the time. They're, they're usually not on one thing. They're on multiple things at the same time. Um, matter of fact, 84% probably do stuff with the computer open. 84%? That's a lot. So that's just their life. This is a cool one for me. They have an eight-second attention span. Think about that. Eight seconds. All right. I want you to, real quickly in your mind right now, we're going to all count to eight together. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's do it again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Did you notice anything? Very subtle. I moved every eight seconds. Because if their attention span is eight seconds, then we've got to realize that and we've got to do stuff to be different. Why do you think church on Sunday is the hardest time of the week for them to come and do it? What usually happens on Sunday morning? You sit still. Person up front usually is speaking mostly in one place. There may be some change of voice. Occasionally some will walk a little bit. They may raise their voice or whatever. But if you're used to eight seconds, you're going to be bored out of your mind. Sunday school. What do you do in your Sunday school class? What do you do in your Sunday school class? How does is, how is your Sunday school class run? Usually there's one person who's done the study leads us. And they just tell you everything? They tell you everything. There might be one or two pieces of input from the outside group, but that's it. Okay. I hope you notice that I'm not doing that today. <laughs> that's a terrible thing, I think, for us to teach people. I, I think there's a place for it, so don't give me right. Don't go out of here and say preachers don't have a purpose. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that that's the reality. We have got to say, okay, here's the problem. We gotta think it through, we gotta do what it means to be done. So when you're teaching your youth or whatever it is you guys are trying to figure out, you know, you got to think through, okay, I'm going to teach them, I want to teach them, they need to learn these things, so I've got to do it in a way that they actually can learn it. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? You're checking with me. Um, donuts. <coughs> so we had an event on Thursday night. One of our students works at the donut place in the well, actually, she used her family counter runs, and so we get lots of free donuts because she'll call them up and say, hey, you got some extra donuts, we'll get them. So she went and got donuts for our event. We had them in our, our kitchen, and of course, everybody loves these donuts because they're from a bakery. You know, this is not like Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts. This is like a bakery, and um, it's a good bakery. Uh, 
can't think of the name right now because y'all may have actually had donuts in there before. But anyway, um, so she brings them in and she puts them in the kitchen. Well, I hear in the back of my mind somebody saying, hey, there's donuts. I'm going to get me a donut. So I'm like, mm-hmm, that's for tonight. So I went and the person's standing right there. And I'm like, his name's AJ. I said, AJ, no, no, no. These donuts were tonight. I wrote on there in big letters, donuts for game night. Okay. Left them. I go out the room. I'm in my office. A little bit later on, AJ, the guy who was right there when I wrote the thing on there, do not eat these donuts. I hear him asking the girl who brought the donuts, hey Taylor, can I have a donut? To which she said, sure you can have a donut. And so, so I, I come out of my room. I'm pretty livid at this point. And I come to AJ and I said, AJ. Do not eat those donuts. Did you not just stand there when I put that sign on there and said don't eat those donuts? And why would you even ask Taylor? She's not in charge of the donuts. Okay, tell me about that. What just happened? Didn't like the answer you gave, so look for a button. Right. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. So there's, so in this teaching process and in these things we're doing, part of the struggle is. Um, they don't like listening to the truth. So let's talk a little bit about truth, okay? So whenever you decide what is truth for your life, how do you come upon it? When you think about truth in your life, how do you decide what's true for you? How do you decide what is truth in your life? Like this chair is real, I know this chair is real because I can touch it, I can feel it, I can sit it. That chair is real. It's true, right? I told you I worked for 33 years as a campus minister. How do you know that's truth? He also told you. So, so he verified it. And you could actually go and look it up and you could find that. But I'm saying, but how do you, you just go take my word for it? No reason to not believe you. Okay. Right. No reason not to believe me. Why? You haven't proven to be untrustworthy yet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, is if that... you take it at face value immediately, then. No, no, I'm glad you do. This is great. This is perfect. So, what does that say about how we come to our truth? So, is, if anyone seems trustworthy, we take them at their word until we find different? Is that what we do? Is that good or bad? It can be both. Can be both. What would make it go one way or the other? I think what, what we know, what I know, may not be what somebody else knows. You know, like if the Bible, if, I, if somebody says something about the Bible, and I, and I knew the Bible said differently, it's because I studied it. I knew that that wasn't correct. And I could go back and check it. But if you Google it, and Google tells you something. Look, Google ain't always right. Uh-uh. I work in the medical field, honey. Them people call it real time. <laughs> it's true. But how do you get? How do you decide what's truth you like? How do you even decide that the Bible is true? How did you come to decide that the Bible is true? For example, it's been proven because it's been proven. Okay. But how did you get to that you decision? You studied it. You right. you know, you've done your part, and you you lived it out. 
you've been passed through taught it generations. You were taught it? Okay, again, y'all see what I'm trying to I'm trying to get you to think about how did you get to truth? You read it through your filters too, in your life experiences. Okay. A lot of them their truth is gonna be whatever works for them. That's right. That's what I was gonna say. This generation uh, they're they're called a post Christian generation. Like they don't start with a Christian worldview. Okay, when I was raised, I was raised with a Christian worldview. You know, Thirty years ago, most of the United States still kind of had a Christian worldview. Well, that's not the average worldview anymore. Okay, we. But I think sometimes when we're teaching the, this next generation, we teach them as if they're where we are. They're not there. Just because they're in the church doesn't mean they have a Christian worldview. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus had the same problem with the Pharisees way back when. There were a lot of people in the church who don't have a proper worldview about God and Jesus or any of that stuff. So, again, if you've got to help them, prepare them, you've got to know where they're coming from, and they may not be starting at the same place you are. As a matter of fact, when, when we do evangelism on campus now, um, I have to start at a different place. I have to get people to God before I can get to Jesus. You know, hearing what I'm saying? Because there's lots of gods out there. There's lots of ways people can go. And if you don't get them to God, you can't even get to Jesus. So what do we typically do? We want to go straight to Jesus. And I'm not, I mean, I want to get to Jesus. Y'all hear me? I'm not, I'm not not Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But some people can't get to Jesus because they, they haven't gotten to God. They haven't even got to the Bible. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's where they're coming from. So if we're going to teach them, if we're going to train them, we've got to think critically ourselves to be figure out how to do that in the world in which they live. Um, <clears throat> let me see if I can just throw out a couple things that make that make a little more sense. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure this. So, one in 11 students are classified as engaged Christians. One out of 11. Um, what do you think that means, an engaged Christian, in light of what we're kind of talking about? Active is another way of saying it, yeah. They live out what right. they're saying about their faith. They know what it is enough that they can actually live it out. So they have some thinking critical skills enough that they can take what they've heard and actually act. But that's only one in a minute. There was an article yesterday in the Christian Index. I don't know if you guys get the Christian Index or not. Uh, the new professor at Shorter who teaches New Testament and Old Testament, he gives a survey at the first of his class every year. And uh, he divides uh, church people or Christians or people in three categories. So when he has students come in, he gives them a test. And then based on their answers, he puts them in three categories. Unashamed, unaware, and unsure. So the unashamed ones are those, one in 11, that are okay with living their faith out. There are those who don't know anything at all, and then there's the unsure ones. Those are the churchy ones. You may tell you who I have the biggest problem with? It's those people. It's the unsure ones. Because if you're a hellion, I know what you need. And if you're really a Christian, I know what you need too. But if you're playing the game and you're uncertain, I have a clue what to do with you. But unfortunately, that's the majority of the people we're giving. Okay, so again, if that's the reality, okay, that's the reality, what kinds of things do we do to fix it? If, if we start with the premise that most of them are unsure, 
So what do they need? If they're unsure, what do they need? We need to engage them in the truth. We need to read out the Bible find out what it says. They need the certainty of the word. They That's need not. to know why we believe the Bible. All the things that we said we get truth from, they just need to know that. They don't need you to give them another sermon. They need for you to act upon the sermon that you've already told them. Right. And help kind them of, understand what. Kind of back what Jesus said about teaching them all. Absolutely. They they know it's for real because they see you doing it. Exactly. Is this making sense? Am, am, am I helping in any way? I hope so. I'm just trying to hit on a couple really kind of key things. Um, the computer is a big deal, just in terms of that. Just affects everything about them. Um, so in my lifetime. Uh, I remember growing up in a little small country town where we had a party line. You, you young folks know what that means? Yeah. Does anybody know what a party, you don't know what a party line is? So let me tell you, this is what a party line is. So when the phone rings, if it was a short ring, that was our neighbors. If it was a long ring, it was us. So in other words, it was ring, ring. That was our phone, we picked it up. Okay, now, if it's a short ring, that was our neighbors, okay? But suppose it was a short ring, we didn't pick up the phone. The neighbors are on the phone. Well, I want to call somebody, I pick up the phone. Well, my neighbors are still talking on their phone because we basically shared the same line. That would be a party line. <laughs> that was back in the day, that was the first thing I came up with. I remember the first time my parents came home with a bag phone, the original, you know, big talking big bag with a big Thing. Exactly. <laughs> and now, now I got a computer where I actually can see my son and talk to him right here. So in my lifetime, it's changed a lot. I remember watching the Jetsons as a kid, cartoon. Y'all know the Jetsons? So, so there's this cartoon back in the day, back before all of this, where they actually talk to people on TVs and stuff, just like we do now. Actually, further back than that, Dick Tracy, a cartoon character, he used to talk on his watch. Yeah. So anyway, it's just you know, in my lifetime, I've seen. Don't forget the papers that we had now before the cell phone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's my point. I've seen all that in my life. These folks have not seen anything. They they've never not had a cell phone. They've never not had a cell phone. So think about it. just that shakes their world. Just that is what I'm saying. That, that's just a big And sometimes I have to just grasp what does that really mean. Um, and I know y'all already dealt with some of that in some of the other sessions, what I, what I, so I won't go off. Let me share this quick thing. Yeah. Summer missions orientation. Clarissa uh, is our missions person in our department. And one of the things she asked at summer missions orientation or launch weekend, want everybody to take their phone, put it in a bag, put it in a box for the next three hours. You to thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, you just try doing that. Oh, uh, well, yeah, we well, tried that for an hour well, with our youth, and they like to die. Just, just, I mean, three hours, uh, and really almost lost. And we're not really, we're still glad we did it, and we'll probably do it again. But some people lost the ability to function mm -hmm. because of what they didn't have in their hand. That, 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 it's one thing to say. You know, I miss it, or I wish I was more in touch, but you lose the ability to function because you don't have that. That is the name for that. They've actually well, given it a name. Nomophobia. 
they don't, they, they, when they lose their cell phone, they don't know what to do. That's what they call it now. There's another thing that goes right with this, and I hear this all the time. It's called FOMO. Anybody know what that stands for? The fear of missing out. FOMO. So that's not just with cell phones, but that's like stuff. So if we have something, uh, an event, and everybody's hanging out, nobody ever wants to leave. Because they're scared if they leave, something happens once they're gone. Y'all seen that? That's a big deal. So everything's kind of tied back to this idea of having a phone and having everything instant and things like that. So a part of our struggle with teaching is we got to get past that. So here, so how do we get past that? I mean, what Joe said is a great thing. Basically, we're asking them to unplug. That's exactly what they need. They need to unplug. We've got to teach them to unplug. The verse that comes to my mind is out of Psalms where it says, Be still and know that I am God. If I can't be still, how can I know God? So it's at the very foundation of that relationship. So I would say one of the things you can start when you're teaching is just saying, Hey, for the next 30 minutes or the next hour or whatever, I don't care how much they balk it, get them to unplug. I don't know what you do at your dinner table, but my wife tells us, put your cell phone away. When we need no cell phones at the table. Sometimes that's hard, even for me. But we do it. We don't bring our cell phones in. My boys will try to bring them underneath the table. She'll say, all right, put them away. And my boys are 20, 22, 23, because they're 23 and 24. And they still try to sneak in there and try to do it. But that's what they need. They need to unplug. So in your teaching and your modeling, I would say that's one of the things you've got to do. You've got to get them to unplug and to connect. Going back to the whole truth thing, what they need is truth. So what are the things we need to give them? We need to give them the truth. They need a moral compass, right? They need to know which direction to go. Most of you said there's a lot of uncertainty and they get to college, they don't know what to do. Well, they know what to do if you give them a compass. If you're lost in the woods, what do you take? A compass. So for us, our, the compass ought to be the word. And I'm just reiterating the same stuff Jesse just said earlier today, just in a little bit different way. Um, I want to get to this one real quick. Um, safe spaces. Are you aware of that? Safe spaces. Talk to me about what do you think when you think of safe spaces. What does that say to you? At the university, um, we have the opportunity as faculty and staff to go through safe space training, and we can put a sign up in our desk or put it on our syllabus. So if a student is having an issue, um, then they know that they can come to us, and it's a safe space where there will not be bullied or judged, judged or anything. And then we will help get them the resources they need, whether it's counseling or a group or something like that. That's that's what it is at the university. When I first saw it, it was at a gas station, and it was a place where um, these women could come get away from the abuser, and that the gas station people would help them get the correct help from the police or whatever. That's the first time I ever saw it, you know, written somewhere. Well, as a campus visitors, and with our small groups that we try to teach, we try to teach everybody that, hey, this is a safe space. You can come here, you can explore this. And, and, and at the one hand, that's really, really good. But what's happening in our society now is everybody's so used to I gotta have my safe space that they don't know how to deal with stuff because everything's been made safe. If everything's made safe, then you can't ever really deal with anything and you can't really learn. So safe spaces on the one hand is a good thing, but on the other hand, really, it's not really helped. It's really hurt. And, and it seems like it's the thing we're doing all over the place now. 
uh, I just learned last week that in the residence halls um, at our campus, we have one wing that's just for people who choose any letter of the LBG, whatever thing. It's their safe space. They got their own hallway. Now, I'm not sure how they get by with that because nobody else gets their own hallway. But they have a safe space. That's that's their safe space. But how does that help? I mean, in the end, it really doesn't help. A lot of things we do sometimes don't end up helping. They end up magnifying the problem and making it worse. Um, so don't hear me say that I don't like safe spaces. I'm saying that safe spaces sometimes keep you from actually doing things you really need to do. Uh, I hear this all the time from students. I'm just so confused. I don't know what to do. The reason they don't know what to do is because they, they don't know how to deal with anything. They've not been given any situation. So it's not just fixing a tire. It's like how you go through just learning something basically. Like, I guess I have a different view on bullying too. So when I was in the fifth grade, I was chased down every day at lunch and thrown in the corner. Would that be bullying? And probably those guys who chase me down right now, they, they knew about it back then, would probably be sent to the principal's office or dismissed from school correctly. But because I love Jesus and because I was a stronger person, this is my takeaway. I'm much faster and much more agile than I was before. And as a Christian, when I got into high school and into college, I was always looking out for them. So bullying, yes. But did bullying help me? Yes. But if we protect everybody from everything, then we got a problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There's bullying that, that doesn't need to happen. Um, I'm not talking about just not. And that probably didn't need to happen to me either. And the Lord just blessed me to be able to get through it. But, but the, making things safe sometimes actually sometimes magnifies this idea of us being able to do it. So you want to create a place where people can dialogue. That's what you want. You want dialogue. You with me, <laughs> you, you got this like facial expression. I didn't know if that was agony or if you actually heard. Are you freezing too? I think everybody's cold. Freezing. Joe, Joe loves things cold. This is polar bear Joe. So I have not touched the thermos. Oh wow! I, I'm, I'm surprised, Joe. I really thought it was you. <laughs> the, the other issue that goes with this whole safe space thing, and I have to bring this in there too, is um, they um, have a hard time developing their own identity. It's a really big issue. Uh, so how did you come to figure out who you were? That's a person. I say in what I didn't want to be in other people. You watched other people, so you don't want to do that, okay? I'm more of a loner type person. I had my own... I didn't want to be with the ones that were out here doing God knows what that you ain't supposed to be doing. Okay. Whereas kids nowadays, oh, I have to have that, and I have to look like this one, and I need to be skinny like that one over there. Instead of being comfortable in their own skin, it, okay, I mean, you're made in his image, right? Right. But how did you come to get that? That you were okay to be who you were in God's skin? Okay. Well, I'll tell you for me, look, I told you I was bullied, right? Mm -hmm. um, you probably won't believe this, but I actually was really very shocked. When I went to school, I didn't talk to anyone. I sat in my seat, and the teacher didn't call me, and I didn't say a word. I had a couple friends, but I really didn't have very many friends. At church, I was comfortable. 
love church. It was a safe space. It was great. I was good there. I was actually a different person at church than I was everywhere else. Because I was comfortable there. But everywhere else, I wasn't comfortable. Uh, I know you can't tell now, but I actually used to work out a lot. But one of the reasons I worked out a lot is because I got tired of getting picked on. So I decided, you know, I'm going to do something about this. So I started working out. But I did it for my own benefit. So I was trying to be something that I wasn't. Got to high school, everybody played sports at the school I went to. I graduated with 500 some odd people. The year that I graduated, they started two high schools, so 300 some odd people graduated from that school. They've been 800 of us graduating in one class. It's a big place. But in my school, sports and the band was where it was at. I sang in the choir. First time I ever saw my granddad cry was on the Sunday I left for church. I left from church to go off to college. Nobody went with me. I packed my car, I got in my car, and I went to college. I didn't want my mama to go because I know she can't cry. So I'd sooner stay home and cry at home. So I got in my car and I let my granddad cry. I went to school. I was welcomed by a hurricane. It was not a good situation. Just to say, but I was forced to do things. But it really wasn't until I got there. And people actually liked me just the way I was. I didn't have to work out. I didn't have to play sports. I didn't have to be in the band. I could be who I was. But what really changed me was when I understood that God created me the way He wanted me. And I found my identity in Christ. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That's what we've got to teach them. Because otherwise, they're going to be bombarded by this other stuff. We don't teach them to find their identity. Notice, I didn't say going to church, being churchy, but finding our identity in Christ. That's what they need. That's one thing. And I wasn't laughing at you. I I don't care. I don't care. sung in the school choir, but he was also in the band. Okay, so, speaking, um, you know, we always grew up with what you do when you grow up. And I notice now most people say, or they encourage you to say, What's the Lord want you to be when you grow up? And I try to remember that because what I want to be when I grow up might not be God's plan. Right. That's actually a really good question. And you know, so you—that's one way um, I think to help people figure out who they are—is for them to realize. And and I hear kids say this all the time. I don't need anybody tell me what to do and how I got to live and this and that. And the other, you know, because I have. 14 year old. And I said, honestly, when you know, no matter what you decide, it's really not your decision anyway, because either God gave you that idea because you're a Christian, or Satan gave you that idea because he wants you to do wrong. So honestly, no matter what decision you make, it's never your decision. That's good. I mean he probably never. didn't know what to do with that information, did he? No, he <laughs> and I mean, you think about it, I mean, government rules you, your job rules you, your husband might rule you, your wife might rule you, your kids may try to rule you. I mean, honestly, there is nothing out there that is just what I want to do. Well, and that's one of the things we've actually 
taught with our Sunday school class um, a couple of times because God took you out of the equation years ago. Right. You know, when He bought you at a price and died on the cross for you, you became His. And if you were going to live for Him, it's His way. If you decided to live for your way, it's actually Satan's, Satan's way. way. So right. you don't have a say in life. Just if one or the other. So you guys think all the preaching right now. So you might, okay, but look here. So we create a place for us to get our answers, questions answered. I, I try to facilitate and give you something to do. Try to help you to think critically, so then you in turn can help other people to think critically. That's really what it's all about. So this is good. You know, we start getting encouraged by what we do. That's the kind of environment that these schools are looking for. They're just looking for a real environment, just like some real people living out their faith talking about Jesus. You actually do have to talk about Jesus. Um, they're not going to learn about osmosis. You actually got to talk about it. You actually got to do something. You, know, you actually got to teach something. It doesn't just happen. I want to hit on one more thing. I know time's almost up. Um, so safe spaces. But then I also want to talk about this myth of safety. One of the other things is, uh, so parents really like to have the kids to be safe. They're worried about it. Like I think you mentioned you're really worried about your daughter going on this school. This is not picking on you. But you care about her, so you want her to be safe. Both the reality is, we don't have any control of that. And God doesn't call us to safety. As a matter of fact, I think He probably calls us the opposite of that. But we try to make everything safe. So I'm going to just encourage you in terms of your kids or whoever you're working with, you've got to give them to God. And, 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 and they've got to know that you've given them to God. That's a part of you giving them your blessing. Give them your blessing when they go off to school to go to a church and find their way. They need your blessing. They need you to encourage them and give them that. They don't need you to hold the reins back. I was on campus Saturday night. We're passing out flyers for the event we had. Move-in was Thursday. Saturday, Saturday night. This is like 8 o'clock Saturday night. Move-in was Thursday. And I saw parents with their daughter still on campus on Saturday night. And you know what I want to say to them? Go home! Drew McConnell makes their parents leave. They don't let them stay. I'm just saying. I just, that's what I want to say. Go home. And I know as a parent, that's hard. But the reality is, you need to give your kid your blessing. You need to let them go because that's the way they learn. If you hold on and keep everything safe, they can't learn. I know y'all were talking about, just remind me, go with them for a bit. Talking about you got youth that want to keep staying in youth group, you don't want to go up to college. Kick the bus out! Send them over there! If you let them come back, you're just as much part of the problem. And, and, and I see what you're saying. Yes, but we don't want them to not come to church. I understand that, but. So we're going to use them. What you going to do? Our plan was like, because right now we're just starting to use it. No, we're not. No, I'm we're just going to lead you, God direct them into becoming what we are. By keeping them in that youth room, once, you know, when we send out of, a, out of the month, okay, Alex, it's your turn to teach. You want to be in the youth room. You want us to lead God direct you, you to the path. Right. Yes. I can live with that as long they're as going, they're going to have, They're going to have to stay in there. If they want to stay in there, they're going to have the responsibility that we have in teaching the others that are younger than they are. Although what we found is that a few of them want that responsibility, but their lifestyle and the way that they present themselves on social media 
surveys and, the, and everything everybody says is those people are engaged because their parents are engaged. Right, right. So if you're engaged in the gospel and in, in discipleship and you're teaching your child or whomever some under your care, then at some point you you got to trust God that he's going to do what he's going to do. So I mean, I'm really all about pushing people on. I mean, I'm not trying to get rid of people. If, if you, if, I, I don't want somebody to not go to church, but if a person's just coming to church and they're not growing in their faith, we don't do any good for them to let them just keep hanging on. Right. Y'all hear me on that? I think for a long time the church is just like people just hang out. We don't need anybody else hanging out. Go hang out at the club. Go hang out at the football club, which is what most people do anyway. But at least you know. I like the fact that it's getting clearer of who the believers are and who they're not. Because it's easier to deal with that. The ones who play the game are the hardest. They're the difficult. So let's don't foster anymore of that. We, we need to get past the churchy stuff. We need to get to the deep stuff. So whatever that means for you in your circumstances, whether it's your daughter, you know, you got a little bit more time to get her ready. So whatever that means for you, you can figure it out. You know how to think critically, right? So I don't have to tell you what to do. What have you thought about this week? About what you might do with your daughter? What thoughts have come to mind? Well, probably about what I need to prepare for. And to, you know, teach her a few things I may have, you know, slighted. And uh, she's really ready spiritually. She's yeah. definitely. She's got, she uh, 
is already, she's engaged in the church. She uh, helps with music. She sings right here at the church here. And uh, our other one sings too. We're all in play. Okay. So, I mean, that end of it, but having like the common sense things and just being able to function, she just personally needs more help. And then the other one has all the, she's got all the common sense. It's like, yeah, she <laughs> took it all. <laughs> well, but you know that, so now, I know. now you can now you know what to do. To help yeah. Out. So your daughter just left off at school. So based on today, what we're talking about, what what can you do? Um, or what should you do? Yeah. You know, what do you want to do? Here? I mean, I think we were all on the right track anyway. Like yesterday, we took her to lunch before this started. Yep. We lived two hours away, and we knew we were before we even she knew she was coming here we knew this we were already signed up for this weekend before she decided on verse seven so we were already coming but um at lunch she was like i just really miss y'all and family at home at night sure and she said i just really wish i could come home she knows that's not choice but she said i wish i could come home and i said but you won't meet your goals at home and i kept it like i'm not going to cry in front of you about it you know but it was hard so i'm sad she's sad but i know that in a few weeks yeah. It will feel more like home here. And, and you so did it's hard it. for me and it's hard for her. But you did the right thing. You helped her because you knew that's what she needs. And so sometimes it's not easy to do the things we need to do. It's not easy to decide with these knuckleheads, you know, where do they fit in and making sure they fit in. It's not easy, but we've got to do the things that it takes, whatever that means. So we, we've got to think critically in order to be able to help them. And that just helps all of us. So it's not, a, it's not a physical or emotional or spiritual thing. It's all of the above. And they need all of the above. And they need to invest in you. Give us the best. Give them the best that we do. Okay. Time is up. I'll be around if you guys want to ask any questions. I have you. Uh, things, but hopefully that was helpful. Um, you know, I try to prepare, but I also try to think about who's in the room and try to get where you are. So hopefully we got there. If not, I apologize. And you can blame Joe. <laughs> now do you know why I wanted Tony to do this one? <laughs> I do want to pray uh, for you guys and, and that God will take you back to wherever you are and that he will use you right where you are with the people he's given you to do the things you need to do. Because you're where you are, I'm not. I'm where I am because that's where he wants me to be. So just pray that all of us will be what God wants us to do. Thank you for being here. God, we do give thanks for an opportunity to be together with like-minded people who care about others. And we desire, Lord, for them to grow up in you. And I do pray, Lord, that... Um, for each one who's in this room as they go back to their churches and to their homes and to the places of worship and just to their families, God. And you would guide them and direct them as they do with their own kids and other kids. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to, as they rely on you and as you give them wisdom, that you'll direct their steps, help them to know what to do, help them know how to do it, Lord, and when to do it. Lord, you just work it out here for you. Lord, ultimately, that's what we want. We want our lives to be what you want them to be. We want to shine you brightly so that others might be drawn to you. So we pray, Lord, that you strengthen us in the kingdom. We have to bless you with our lives. We pray all these things in your strong name. Thank you very much. You're welcome.